Good afternoon, and welcome to the F5, Inc. fourth quarter fiscal 2023 financial results conference call. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. Also, today's conference is being recorded. If anyone has any objections, please disconnect at this time. I'll now turn the call over to Ms. Suzanne Dulong. Ma'am, you may begin. Hello and welcome. I am Suzanne Dulong, F5's Vice President of Investor Relations. Francois Logo Denou, F5's President and CEO, and Frank Peltzer, F5's Executive Vice President and CFO, will be making prepared remarks on today's call. Other members of the F5 executive team are also on hand to answer questions during the Q&A session. A copy of today's press release is available on our website at f5.com, where an archived version of today's audio will be available through January 28, 2024. The slide deck accompanying today's discussion is viewable on the webcast and will be posted to our IR site at the conclusion of our call. To access the replay of today's webcast by phone, dial 877-660-6853 or 201-612-7415 and use meeting ID 1374-1762. The telephonic replay will be available through midnight Pacific time, October 25, 2023. For additional information or follow-up questions, please reach out to me directly at s.dulong at f5.com. Our discussion today will contain forward-looking statements, which include words such as believe, anticipate, expect, and target. These forward-looking statements involve uncertainties and risks that may cause our actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by these statements. We have summarized factors that may affect our results in the press release announcing our financial results and in detail in our SEC filings. In addition, we will reference non-GAAP metrics during today's discussion. Please see our full GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation in today's press release and in the appendix of our earnings slide deck. Please note that F5 has no duty to update any information presented in this call. With that, I will turn the call over to Francois. Thank you, Suzanne, and hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. In my remarks today, I will speak to our Q4 and FY23 highlights as well as our expectations for FY24. Frank will then review the details of our Q4 and FY23 results and provide some additional color about our outlook. We delivered a solid Q4 in an environment that showed some additional signs of stabilization. We saw strength from our enterprise vertical, including technology and financial services customers, offset by softness from service providers. The result was Q4 revenue near the high end of our guidance range. Our continued operating discipline helped us deliver earnings per share well above the high end of our range. Our global services team delivered robust 9% revenue growth driven by strong maintenance renewals and reflecting the benefit of price increases announced last year. In addition, software revenue grew 11% aided by 27% growth in subscription software. Software revenue from renewals, which have performed well all year, ticked up in Q4 over Q3. And while new subscriptions remain down year over year, we saw some improvement compared to the first half. Strength in global services and software offset a systems decline of 25%, which reflects a lower level of backlog-related shipments than we had for the first three quarters of the year. Stepping back and looking at fiscal year 2023, we adjusted to the environmental challenges we faced, resolving supply chain pressures, and largely returning to normalized delivery times. 
We took decisive action to adjust our operating model to the realities of the demand environment, driving meaningful improvement to our operating margins and delivering 15% EPS growth. We also returned 58% of our annual free cash flow to shareholders via share repurchases. Highlights from FY23 include, first, subscription renewals performed largely to plan for the year. In today's tough IT spend environment, this is a strong signal that customers are getting the value and return they expect from our software solutions. Second, F5 Distributed Cloud Services SaaS offerings are gaining traction with both new and existing customers. In fact, 29% of distributed cloud SaaS customers are new to F5. In total, we now have more than 500 customers for our SaaS services on distributed cloud, an increase of more than 200% since Q4 of last year. Third, we are having very good success displacing a traditional ADC competitor in both software and hardware form factors. And finally, we delivered meaningful operating improvements, driving our non-GAAP operating margin up 130 basis points from FY22. As we look ahead, we enter FY24 in an environment that seems to be stabilizing. In fact, from a demand perspective, we saw encouraging early signs with enterprise customers in Q4, though it is too soon to say if what we are seeing is a durable trend. As we contemplate our outlook for FY24, we consider a number of factors. At the macro level, we expect continued application and API growth fueled by automation efforts and new use cases, including generative AI. We also expect customer spending caution persists into FY24, but is stable. And finally, we believe the tension between application and API growth and customers' ability to sweat assets will reach a tipping point, causing them to reinvest in their application infrastructure, likely beginning sometime in FY24. At the F5 level, we also consider, first, we have an approximately $180 million revenue headwind from FY23's backlog fulfillment, primarily in systems. Second, we expect flat to modest total software revenue growth in FY24 as a result of a number of dynamics, including continued subscription renewal strength and steady distributed cloud SaaS revenue growth. These positive trends will be offset by a series of transitions we are executing in our SaaS and managed services offerings. And third, we expect our global services revenue will return to low single digit growth as we lap price increases. As a result of these factors, we expect our FY24 revenue will be flat to down low single digits from FY23, inclusive of the 6% headwind related to FY23 backlog shipments. We also expect to return to mid single digit revenue growth in FY25. Whether we achieve the low or high end of our revenue range, we are committed to driving continuing strong profitability and we will continue to manage our operating model with discipline. We expect to deliver FY24 non-GAAP operating margin in a range of 33 to 34%. We are also targeting FY24 non-GAAP EPS growth of 5 to 7%, reflecting growth of at least 10% on a tax-neutral basis compared to FY23. Our growth opportunity is fundamentally linked to the continued growth of applications and APIs and the need to secure, deliver, and optimize those apps and APIs. F5 is the only company that can deliver, secure, and optimize any app and API 
anywhere. Our security and delivery solutions offer a custom fit for each app and API. Modern apps and APIs require different solutions than legacy apps. We have the right solutions for both. In addition to delivering the right tools for the right app or API, our combination of deployable software and hardware and SaaS and managed service offerings means we are the only vendor that can serve every app and API across all environments in a data center, public cloud, and at the edge. We are the only company who can do this today. And going forward, further integration and convergence of our solutions will make it much easier for our customers to secure and deliver their apps across all infrastructure environments. The power of our converged portfolio is resonating with customers who are able to deploy the solutions they need today with the knowledge that F5 will be with them on every step of their multi-cloud journey. Before I pass the call to Frank, I will speak to some customer highlights from each of our product families. Our F5 Big IP family serves traditional applications either on-premises, co-located, or in cloud environments. Big IP's data plane performance, automation capabilities, and seamless integration into public cloud environments continues to differentiate the platform. And we continue to win against competitors. From a hardware perspective, the value proposition with our next generation platforms is resonating with customers with our R-Series and Velos platforms representing more than 80% of Q4 systems bookings. In one example of a big IP win from Q4, we displaced a competitor at a North American healthcare customer. The opportunity arose as a result of the incumbent provider's inability to handle a mission-critical upgrade to the customer's physician portal. The customer selected F5 Big IP based on its advanced application delivery capabilities, secure access management, our partnership with their healthcare records platform, and confidence in our roadmap. In addition to providing the mission-critical functionality the customer needed urgently, we replaced all of the competitor's use cases with the customer, simplifying their application environment and future-proofing their data centers. F5 Nginx delivered a very strong Q4. Nginx serves modern container-native and microservices-based applications and APIs. We continue to see large enterprises adopt Nginx for their cloud and Kubernetes workloads, and as those applications scale, we are seeing our Nginx opportunity scale as well. In addition, customers are also leveraging Nginx for app layer security for containers. As an example, in Q4, when the e-commerce division of a global technology customer needed to comply with new data security standards, they selected Nginx AppProtect to implement app layer security to the containers processing consumers' credit card data. We have invested both organically and inorganically to build our F5 distributed cloud services, a portfolio of SaaS and managed services. Apart from the offering transitions I mentioned, we are really excited about the future for distributed cloud. We are intercepting two exciting emerging growth categories, web app and API protection, or WAP, and secure multi-cloud networking, or secure MCN, that will drive future growth for distributed cloud services. In one WAP win for the quarter, we are helping an EMEA-based banking customer evolve from its traditional WAP security posture to a more comprehensive WAP solution that encompasses web application firewall, as well as API protection, bot defense, and layer 7 DDoS protection. 
This customer approached us when they came under attack by a malicious foreign actor that their existing WAF could not handle. Against multiple competitors, we successfully demonstrated the superiority of our WAP offering, including our ability to protect major payment companies' APIs. Early traction for our secure multi-cloud networking offerings includes a Q4 win with a large retailer in Latin America that also offers a range of financial services to its customers. As part of its digital transformation efforts, the customer needed a solution to enable them to grow and manage their expanding body of cloud-native applications. They also planned to migrate their large existing footprint of virtual machines and on-premises appliances to the cloud. After a thorough proof of concept, the customer selected our secure multi-cloud networking solution because of our ability to use the customer edge to make the move 100% transparent to both internal users and consumers. We are also seeing cross-portfolio traction with customers who are operating in hybrid environments choosing to deploy F5 across multiple form factors. In a win that highlights the synergies of our product families, during Q4, we secured a win with an APAC-based financial services provider. The customer launched a multifaceted modernization project designed to add and consolidate applications and enable scalability to handle exponential traffic growth. They also needed help stopping a barrage of constant automated attacks. In a competitive bid, our combination of big IP and F5 distributed cloud bot defense won out. The combination enables the customer to manage unpredictable traffic growth, customize services for each application, and enhance their security posture with our ML-based AI engine. These real-life use cases offer a view to how we are enabling customers to secure, deliver, optimize, and manage their applications and APIs, and how we simplify the challenges of operating in a complex, hybrid, multi-cloud world. Now I will turn the call to Frank. Frank? Thank you, Francois, and good afternoon, everyone. I will review our Q4 and FY23 results before I elaborate on the outlook Francois shared. We delivered Q4 revenue of 707 million, reflecting 1% growth year over year with a mix of 54% global services and 46% product revenue. Global services revenue of 382 million grew a strong 9% due to continued high maintenance renewals as well as the price increases we introduced last year. Product revenue totaled 325 million, down 7% year on year. Systems revenue of 134 million declined 25% year over year, reflecting a lower level of backlog-related shipments than we had in prior quarters and demand that showed some signs of stabilization, albeit at lower levels than we have seen historically. In contrast, software revenue grew 11% over the year-ago period to a new high of 191 million. Subscription-based revenue grew 27% year-over-year to 166 million, another record high, representing 87% of Q4's total software revenue. Perpetual software license sales of 25 million represented 13% of Q4 software revenue. Revenue from recurring sources contributed 76% of Q4's revenue, another all-time high. Recurring revenue includes subscription-based revenue as well as the maintenance portion of our services revenue. On a regional basis, revenue from Americas was down 6% year-over-year, representing 57% of total revenue. 
EMEA grew 16%, representing 26% of revenue, and APAC grew 4%, representing 17% of revenue. Looking at our major verticals, during Q4, enterprise customers represented 72% of product bookings, service providers represented 9%, and government customers represented 19%, including 7% from U.S. Federal. Our Q4 operating results were strong, reflecting operating discipline and a full quarter benefit from the cost reductions announced in April. GAAP gross margin was 80.1%. Non-GAAP gross margin was 82.7%, an improvement of 125 basis points from Q4 of FY22. GAAP operating expenses were $394 million. Non-GAAP operating expenses were $345 million. Q4 non-GAAP operating expenses as a percent of revenue was below 49%, resuming pre-2019 acquisition levels. Our GAAP operating margin was 24.3%. Our non-GAAP operating margin was 33.9%, representing an improvement of more than 600 basis points from Q4 of FY22. Our GAAP effective tax rate for the quarter was 13%. Our non-GAAP affected tax rate was 14% below our initial expectations for the year as a result of IRS guidance issued during the quarter relating to foreign tax credits. Our GAAP net income for the quarter was $152 million, or $2.55 per share. Our non-GAAP net income was $209 million, or $3.50 per share, well above the top end of our guidance range of $3.15 to $3.27 per share. This reflects the combined impact of our gross margin improvements and operating expense discipline, as well as the Q4 tax benefit. I will now turn to cash flow and the balance sheet, which also remain very strong. We generated 190 million in cash flow from operations in Q4, driven by our improved profitability. Capital expenditures for the quarter were 15 million. DSO for the quarter was 58 days. Cash and investments totaled approximately $808 million at quarter end. Deferred revenue increased 5% year-over-year to $1.78 billion. We repurchased $60 million worth of shares in Q4. For the year, we used 58% of our approximately $600 million of free cash flow for share repurchases. I note that in each of the past three years, we have met or exceeded our share repurchase commitments. Finally, we ended the quarter with approximately 6,500 employees. I will now recap our FY23 results. For the year, revenue grew 4% to 2.8 billion. Global services revenue grew 7% to 1.5 billion, representing 53% of total revenue for the year. Product revenue grew 1% to 1.3 billion, representing 47% of total revenue. For the second year in a row, software represented roughly 50% of product revenue. Software revenue was flat compared to last year at $664 million. This was down from our initial expectation of 15 to 20% growth as a result of customers delaying large transformational projects. As Francois noted, software renewals performed largely as planned. We delivered $671 million in systems revenue during the year, representing 3% growth. I would now like to provide some additional information regarding software revenue. We've said we intended to provide additional software revenue details as the SaaS business scaled. As we said last October, we had several SaaS and managed service transitions planned. We started these transitions in FY23, and they will continue through FY24 and FY25, leading to some short-term revenue variability that is not necessarily indicative of potential future performance. 
We believe that providing visibility to our SASA managed service revenue and to the transitions that are underway provides greater clarity on both our FY24 revenue expectations and our expectation of returning to mid-single-digit revenue growth in FY25. Today, I will speak to three components of our FY23 software revenue. The first, term subscriptions, the second, SAS and managed services, and the third, perpetual licenses. We intend to continue to report the SAS and managed service portion of our revenue on an annual basis going forward. In FY23, revenue from term-based subscriptions comprised a big IP and Nginx subscriptions contributed $353 million to software revenue, up 9% year-over-year. Under ASC 606, sales of term-based subscriptions are recognized largely upfront as software revenue. The remainder is deferred and recognized as service revenue over the term of the subscription. The majority of our term-based subscriptions are contracted for three years. Term subscriptions include both new, renewal, and true forward or expansion revenue for both annual and multi-year subscriptions of deployable software. New revenue includes new customers as well as new use cases or offerings sold to existing customers. In FY23, renewal and true forward or expansion revenue experienced healthy year-over-year growth, offsetting the weakness in new-term subscription software projects. Renewals performing largely to plan in FY23 is encouraging for several reasons. First, given the current levels of customer spending scrutiny, strong renewals are a signal that customers are getting the value they demand. Second, our renewals motion is still relatively new and is great to see confirmation that it is working as intended. The second component of our software revenue, SaaS and managed services, contributed $203 million in revenue in FY23, up 2% year-over-year. SaaS and managed service is comprised of our F5 distributed cloud SaaS offerings, revenue from managed services, including our legacy F5 Silverline offering and our anti-bot and anti-fraud offerings, as well as revenue from legacy SaaS offerings. SaaS and managed service sales are recognized ratably as product revenue over the term of the subscription. At the end of FY23, our SaaS and managed services ARR was $198 million, down approximately 2% year-over-year. There were four primary contributors to this performance. First, we are seeing solid early momentum from our F5 distributed cloud service SaaS offerings. Second, in FY23, our most advanced anti-bot and anti-fraud managed service solutions underperformed relative to our plan as a result of customer spending caution and budget scrutiny. Third, in FY23, we began migrating customers from our legacy Silverline managed service offerings to our F5 distributed cloud SaaS offering. And fourth, we began executing the planned retirement of legacy SaaS offerings from companies we acquired. Both the Silverline customer migrations and the retirement of legacy SaaS offerings resulted in planned revenue churn. The third component of our software revenue is perpetual licenses, which contributed $108 million in software revenue down year-over-year after unusually strong FY22. In FY23, 71% of our revenue was recurring, up from 69% in FY22. Several years ago, we began breaking out our security-related revenue annually. This year, our total security revenue, which includes standalone security, attached security, and security related to maintenance revenue, was approximately $1.1 billion, or 40% of total revenue. 
our standalone security product revenue grew 5% to approximately $475 million. We are seeing good traction with the lower-end antibot offering delivered through distributed cloud services as well as from security on NGINX. Our FY23 security revenue growth was affected by customer spending caution, including stalled transformational projects and the underperformance of advanced antibot anti-fraud solutions, as I mentioned previously. During the year, we overcame supply chain challenges and successfully returned our lead times to normal levels. As a result, our FY23 product backlog returned to pre-supply chain challenge levels, and we closed the year with approximately 53 million in product backlog. I will now turn to our FY23 operating performance. Gap gross margin in FY23 was 78.9%. Non-gap gross margin was 81.5%, down 110 basis points from FY22 as a result of higher supply chain costs in FY23. Our gap operating margin for FY23 was 16.8%, and our non-gap operating margin was 30.2%, up 130 basis points from FY22 as a result of our previously announced cost reductions. Our gap effective tax rate for the year was 18.7%. Our non-gap effective tax rate for the year was 18.3%. Our FY23 annual tax rate was lower than expected, primarily due to IRS guidance issued during the fourth quarter related to foreign tax credits. Gap net income for FY23 was $395 million, or $6.55 per share. Non-gap net income was $705 million, or $11.70 per share, representing growth of 14.8% over FY22. Francois outlined our annual and longer-term outlook at the start of the call. I will recap it with some additional color. I will also provide our outlook for Q1. With the exception of revenue, my guidance comments reference non-GAAP metrics. In our FY24 outlook, we've made the following assumptions. We expect customer spending caution will continue into FY24, though we also expect customers will begin to reinvest at some point in the year. We expect our global services revenue will return to low single-digit growth as we lap price increases. We have approximately $180 million revenue headwind in systems from FY23's backlog fulfillment. We expect to continue to take share in the traditional ADC space with big IP in both hardware and software form factors. Within our software revenue, we expect continued strength from our term subscription renewals and continued growth from our F5 distributed cloud SaaS offerings. As I discussed previously, we will have some planned revenue churn as we work through the SaaS and managed service transitions I discussed. We expect these transitions will be largely complete in FY25. In FY23, ending ARR associated with the transitions is approximately 65 million, a little more than half of which is associated with offerings we intend to transition onto distributed cloud over the next two years. The net of these assumptions combined with the current demand levels leads us to expect FY24 revenue in the range of flat to down low single digits from FY23. Excluding the 180 million or 6% headwind from our FY23 backlog reduction, our guidance range would reflect low to mid single digit revenue growth in FY24. Whether we achieve the bottom or top end of this range largely depends on when customers resume more normal levels of spending. 
We expect some continued quarter-to-quarter -quarter variability as a result of upfront revenue recognition related to our term subscription offerings. Regardless of our revenue performance, we remain committed to driving strong profitability. From an operating perspective, we expect gross margin will improve in fiscal year 24 to the range of 82 to 83 percent. This is primarily the result of supply chain-related cost pressures working their way out of our model. We expect our continued operating expense discipline will result in FY24 non-GAAP operating margin in the range of 33 to 34% for the year. On a percent of revenue basis, this would put our operating expenses roughly in line with 2018 levels at roughly 49% of revenue. We expect our FY24 effective tax rate will be 21 to 23%. In FY24, we expect to deliver 5 to 7% non-GAAP earnings growth, which translates to at least 10% year-over-year growth on a tax-neutral basis. Finally, we expect to use at least 50% of our annual free cash flow for share repurchases consistent with the approach we have discussed previously. As of the end of FY23, we had $922 million remaining on our previously announced authorized share repurchase program. We also want to take the opportunity to speak to our expectations beyond FY24, as we believe it will help signal how we intend to run the business longer term. As Francois noted, we expect mid-single-digit revenue growth in FY25. We expect to drive additional gross margin improvements and to deliver gross margins between 83 and 84 percent. We expect to grow our operating expenses slower than revenue, resulting in an operating margin of at least 35 percent. We will continue to prioritize profitability, adjusting our operating model if needed to enable us to deliver at least 10% compounded annual non-GAAP EPS growth. Finally, we intend to continue to use at least 50% of our annual free cash flow towards share repurchases. I'll conclude with our expectations for Q1 of FY24. We expect Q1 revenue in the range of 675 to 695 million we expect gross margins in the range of 82 to 83%. We estimate Q1 operating expenses of 332 to 344 million. We are targeting Q1 non-GAAP EPS in the range of $2.97 to $3.09 per share. We expect Q1 share-based compensation expense of approximately 58 to 60 million. I will now turn the call back over to Francois. Francois? Thank you, Frank. Before we open the call to questions, I want to address our view on F5's AI opportunity. At the highest level, we believe customers' use of AI will accelerate the growth of applications and APIs and the corresponding need to deploy, manage, and secure them, which is what we do best. We also believe AI inference, the process of using a trained model to make predictions on never-seen-before data, will become increasingly distributed. Organizations will need to support it anywhere from data centers to manufacturing floors to public clouds. We believe every application and API will soon require inference just as they require security and traffic management. With our rich history of delivering innovative ML-based security solutions, including bot defense, protection against denial of service attacks, and anti-fraud, and our role in the flow of application traffic, we are uniquely positioned to secure AI workloads wherever they reside and to empower our customers to run AI wherever they need it. In conclusion, we are leveraging our incumbency and our position in the flow of 40% of the world's internet traffic 
to deliver hybrid multi-cloud solutions that dramatically simplify application and API deployment, security, and management for our customers. We are also significantly reducing our customers' total cost of ownership. We are uniting and automating all of our customers' apps and APIs across their data centers, cloud, and edge environments. We are encouraged both by the early signs of stability we saw in the second half of 23 and with the resonance our converging portfolio is having with customers. We have an install base of 20,000 customers, all of whom have an acute and significant multi-cloud challenge. Other than F5, there is no one company that can address this challenge. With F5 Distributed Cloud Services, we have created a platform to drive SaaS growth in the future. In closing, I will reiterate the three pillars of our long-term operating model, which will enable us to drive double-digit earnings on a compound annual growth rate. Number one, delivering sustained mid-single-digit revenue growth supported by our differentiated positioning in attractive end markets, along with our durable, high-margin global services business. Number two, driving non-GAAP operating margin expansion, which we will achieve through gross margin improvement and operating discipline. And number three, returning cash to shareholders via share repurchases using at least 50% of our annual free cash flow. Operator, please open the call to questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question, you may press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star two if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star key. Our first question comes from the line of Amit Dariani with Evercore. Please proceed with your question. Yep. Um, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, you know, I guess, um, Francis, maybe to start with, um, you talked about software growth being flat to, I think, up modestly, but that included some of the headwinds around the business transition you're taking place on the managed services side. I, I didn't appreciate this, but is the headwind from this transition 65 million, or is it half that number? And maybe just flush out how much that is, and what are the transitions that you're doing? I admit. Um, so in in total, so it, you know, we talked about roughly 200 million dollars SaaS and managed services. In that 200 million dollars, there's about 65 million dollars of uh, revenue streams uh, that essentially are going to go away now. About more than half of that um, is revenue streams coming from a legacy managed services platform, Silverline, that we, we are retiring, uh, but we intend to migrate the customers over to distributed cloud. So we would expect uh, you know, a portion, if not well, a significant portion of that, uh, of that revenue stream to go on to distributed cloud over time. The other, uh, a little less than half of that 65 million, are offerings that we are retiring completely. Uh, that you know, when when we looked at our portfolio and looked at the offerings we wanted to rationalize that we felt were underperforming, uh, we decided to retire these offerings completely uh, to you know um, focus on the the products that are going forward and successful, rationalize our costs, uh, and improve our efficiency. Got it. That is really helpful to get uh, understand the, the split on the 65 million. Um, and then, you know, I think, Franz, when you in your in your comments you sort of talked about, 
you're seeing encouraging signs from enterprise customers in September quarter. Can you just perhaps talk about what are these signs? Is it just the assets are running at high utilization, you can't sweat them anymore? Um, and is there any certain geo or vertical where you're starting to see these initial positive signs that you made from customer demand? Um, I mean, there, I wouldn't say there's a particular geography where we are, where that's really different than others. I, I would say North America has been probably more solid and stable than our Asia and European uh, markets. Uh, if we look at verticals in terms of where we're seeing stabilization, I think the enterprise market, we're, we're seeing more stabilization. Uh, the service provider uh, market has been soft. Uh, that's for a number of factors. Service providers continue to sweat assets um, and, and be really ruthless in their uh, prioritization. The 4G to 5G transition is a little slower uh, than anticipated. So service providers in general have been soft, and we're, we're kind of expecting that to, to continue. Uh, what we, we were encouraged by, uh, especially in the second half of the year, but specifically in Q4, is in the enterprise space specifically, we saw some customers that had been sweating their assets uh, and, and got to kind of the end of that cycle and started um, uh, demanding hardware again or ordering hardware again. So we did see a rebound in hardware orders in the fourth fiscal quarter. Um, coming from A, we think uh, some customers having sweated their assets, but also, uh, you know, it took a long time for us to ship equipment to a number of our customers in 2023. And in Q4, we saw some of these customers that finally had received their, their hardware and had been able to deploy that to start ordering again. Uh, so we were uh, encouraged by those trends. Got it. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from the line of Alex Henderson with Needham. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thank you so much. Um, looking back uh, at your uh, prior longer-term expectations, um, I think you had talked about uh, growth rate in software in in, in excess of 20% uh, and high to mid-single declines in, in uh, systems. Can you give us a, an update on what you think those percentages might look like uh, longer term once you get through uh, uh, the, the wobble in uh, uh, FY24? Yeah, so Alex, um, we're, so today we're talking, so I don't want to talk about what's beyond FY25. I'm going to talk about FY24 and 25. Uh, you know, beyond FY25, I think our view of our end market uh, haven't really changed. And so, you know, in the future, that opportunity uh, to return to 20% plus growth in, in, in software is there based on the end markets that we are targeting. But let's talk about FY24 uh, and it's FY25. So FY24, we've talked about uh, growth in software being, you know, flat to modest. Uh, and that's, if you take the three components of software that we've, we've just talked about, uh, we expect, um, you know, the, the perpetual base of the business to be roughly flattish. We have a, a similar view on the SaaS and managed services part of the business based on the, the transitions we're, we're going through. And uh, potentially, you know, in the uh, term subscription part of the business is where potentially we would see some, some modest growth. Going into 2025, uh, 
from a revenue perspective, we don't necessarily expect growth from Perpetual or the SaaS and managed services business because of the transitions that we're, we're going through. But we have strong visibility into our, the, the renewals and expansions in our term subscription business. Uh, the expansions uh, we are, are very strong from what we're seeing, and we expect that to, to continue and be amplified in, in uh, 2025. So in 2025, we would expect you know, software growth to return to double digits, really powered by our term subscription business. I see. Uh, just if I could follow up, on, you talked about your backlog uh, having been normalized, but um, you've also had orders out for components that were driven off of the um, tight supply environment. When do you expect uh, the full normalization of the component costs, um, you know, in your cost of goods sold? Is that uh, already achieved, or is that going to be something that's going to feather in over the next year, maybe year and a half? Alex, it's uh, Frank. So largely, most of that has been achieved. Though there is still uh, some of the purchase price variances that are coming through. Um, in FY24. Uh, by FY25, we expect that to be uh, fully out in a normalized level. Uh, can you give some assessment of what the 24 variance uh, would be? Um, Alex, I think it's probably in the range of uh, 25 to 50 basis points where we'll see improvement just based off of that in comparison to expectations for gross margins in FY25. Great. Thank you so much. Our next question comes from the line of Simic Chatterjati with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Hey, um, thanks for taking my question. I guess, Francois, just um, relative to your fiscal 25 outlook for mid-single-digit, I'm just curious if you've changed your view about what the long-term trajectory in systems demand looks like, particularly as you mentioned, you've seen orders pick up a bit. And maybe you can also talk about when you talked about AI demand, do you expect how do you expect it to play out between systems relative to sort of software uh, within your portfolio? And have a quick follow up. Thank you. Um, Samik, thank you. The, so over over a long period of time, I think we you know we we think the the hardware business um, would be more of a you know low single low single-digit decliner over time. However, um, that is a statement, you know, that is based on, a, a norm, first, a normalization of the hardware business. And we're, and we're not there today, right? Just then, uh, as you know, the, the, the demand was much softer in 2023. Uh, and so we actually expect our hardware business to rebound in 2024. Uh, and we saw some signs of that already in this, uh, in this fourth quarter. Um, and, you know, they, they, I'm giving you more of a, a long-term trend kind of beyond 2025, but, you know, I think at least for 2024, we expect a rebound uh, in the hardware business. In terms of uh, where AI will play in our business, so the way to think about it, uh, Samik, is we um, – the portfolio that we're putting together, uh, which is hardware, software, and SaaS, um, we expect, you know, that that will enable, enable our customers to secure and deliver their API uh, and their applications in any environment. Uh, AI workloads are going to be modern applications. 
some of which may run on-prem, but we think a, a lot of them will run in software environments. And so it's likely that supporting AI workloads will accrue more to our software uh, business over time. And in addition to that, we think we have a very unique position uh, in that with our distributed cloud capabilities, we are able to run inferences uh, really uh, in any cloud environment and beyond. So we can run inferences in any public cloud, we can run it at the edge, we can run it in our own cloud. Uh, and increasingly we're hearing from customers that they will want to run these inferences on, on manufacturing floors uh, or on in retail branches for retail customers or in vehicles for some far edge use cases. And we have the ability to run and secure and deliver these inferences in any environment, um, uh, you know, whether it's in a cloud or in any one of these far edge environments. And that makes FI very unique in its position for running AI inferences in the future. All of that, of course, will accrue to our software business. Got it, got it. Uh, for my follow-up, Francois, you mentioned the green shoots you're seeing in terms of enterprise spending and the recovery there. I think one of the pushbacks we've seen from investors on that front has largely been the expectation that there might be a pickup here in the back end of the year just from a budget flush perspective from the enterprises, and you might sort of see a pullback again as we enter into next year and more sort of budget cuts. Any insights uh, that you're uh, already getting from your customers about how budgets look for next year? or in relation to whether this sort of pickup is anything to do with a more temporary flush of budgets before the year end? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Samik. I, I don't think it, it was related to a budget flush for the end of the year because you know, the comments we made in resumption were really uh, things we observed in the, the quarter that ended in, in September for us. Uh, when, we, when we look at next year, no, we do not have visibility into exactly what budgets our customers will have in FY24. Um, we do have a strong pipeline uh, entering the, the fiscal year um, on, on hardware. Uh, and you know now it, it will come down to what are the close rates on, the, on that pipeline. Um, in Q4, the close rates that we saw on our pipeline entering the quarter were better than in the prior three quarters uh, of the year. That's, that's also part of why we talked about stabilization uh, and green shoots in Q4 is because what we saw in the close rate. So we're going into the fiscal year with a stronger hardware pipeline. Uh, recent data points are on close rates that are uh, positive. Uh, but of course, we are cautious because there's still a lot of uncertainty out there uh, you know, around the macro, as, as you noted. Uh, we continue to see customers um, you know, in certain occasions Delaying, delaying deals or, you know, having continued budget scrutiny and more approvals, we, we are seeing that phenomenon continue. Uh, and so overall, we're still, we're still cautious going into the year. Thank you. Thanks for taking my questions. Our next question comes from the line of Meta Marshall with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thanks. Maybe building on Samick's question to start, you know, as you look at your pipeline, is your view that a lot of this is, okay, we've sweated assets as much as we can, or the utilization of the appliances is too high, or, you know, are we starting to see kind of growth in multi-cloud projects again? Just trying to get a sense of, as you look at your pipeline, is it kind of traditional applications are expanding uh, use cases? And then maybe as a second question, 
Um, you know, you mentioned kind of having uh, plays as, as AI and inference cases grow. You know, is that going to require productization of any kind of suites of products today um, or just kind of tailoring uh, to kind of have AI-ready solutions? Thanks. Thank you, Meda. The So let me start with the first question um, and my comments on pipeline. Um, they're more related to what we're seeing in the um, on the hardware side of things where, you know, we had a number of customers that, number one, have been sweating their assets and they're getting sometimes to utilization levels where we, we know that at some point in 24 they will have to do something. Or, number two, customers um, who had placed orders in FY22 had not been able to receive equipment for, for these orders who now have and have started to deploy that capacity and uh, are, are starting to be ready to order again. So that, that is accruing to a stronger hardware pipeline. In terms of um, big, you know, kind of multi-cloud software, what we've called this transformational software project, uh, we are not yet seeing a you know, substantial resumption of, of these kinds of projects. And that's what I was saying earlier is customers are still very cautious on undertaking, um, you know, big projects like that. And we're, you know, we're not seeing a different pattern uh, going into the year on, on those aspects. Um, as it relates to AI and whether it will require productization, um, we, we have essentially, so on, on the aspect of being able to run inferences in any environment, uh, we have these capabilities in distributed cloud. Uh, I think we need to ensure that we, we harden these capabilities and uh, there's a strong go-to-market effort to be made around that to make customers aware of that. Uh, in the future as they, as they start deploying these AI workloads. As it relates to being able to secure and deliver AI workloads, those capabilities exist today, and we are ready to go uh, with that already. Uh, Mita, I just wanted to add that, uh, you know, last year we talked about in our outlook, um, uh, particularly in software, that uh, we were a little less than 50% um, of our outlook at the time was coming from uh, the renewals in the true forwards portion of our term subscription agreements and um, that uh, and, and our SaaS based of revenue um, and that a little more than half was going to come from new uh, this year as we take a look at that same formula and we, we look out over 60% of you know what we expect in that flat to modest uh, software growth is coming from uh, both the, the renewals pieces of the, the SaaS and managed service business uh, plus the renewals of true forwards of our term subscription uh, business. So we tried to take into account the fact that we don't see these transformational um, projects on the, on the horizon as we, uh, as we thought about the guidance. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Yang with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for the question and for um, all the comments on, on the Outlook. I just had two, both on software. Um, you know, first, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, your visibility into the term business. Um, you know, you called out term as uh, something that would help drive the double-digit software revenue growth in fiscal 25, as well as uh, potential growth in fiscal 24. Uh, and then second, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this migration from Silverline to DCS. 
Um, it, it, it sounds like it's a multi-year headwind, um, you know, something that contributed to the weakness in ARR and fiscal 23, um, but it also seems to be a headwind in, in fiscal 24 and fiscal, fiscal 25. So um, maybe you could just talk about that and, you know, how that transition is, is rolling off and, you know, over, over how many years. Thank you. Sure, Michael. Uh, I'm going to start on the first question, and I'll let Francois uh, jump in on the second on the silver line side. Um, so, on the first, on the term subscription, particularly the um, uh, you know the, the true forwards and the expansions that we have seen uh, with the uh, the second terms coming on, and and, uh, and we've had probably about seven or eight quarters now of run rate, um, and uh, are getting much more comfortable with the the early signs that you know where massive expansions continue, and so getting very very strong utilization. Uh, from the uh, from that base of deployed um, uh, flexible consumption programs, um, and this specifically covers right now um, uh, Big IP and the Nginx uh, portfolio within our business, as I mentioned in the prepared remarks, and um, that's giving us a lot of comfort uh, both in FY24 and more importantly in FY25. Uh, FY25, we've got a um, uh, you know a bigger pool of expansion. Uh, revenue than we do in FY24, and 24 is growing on top of 23. So all of these continue to compile upon themselves. Uh, as I just mentioned to Mita, that um, you know more than 60% of the outlook that we've got within our software revenue is coming, uh, you know, from that cohort that we feel pretty good about seeing, which is uh, the term uh, renewals as well as true forwards plus the SaaS managed service uh, renewal piece uh, that we've got in the revenue stream. So. Uh, both of those you know, we feel very confident about, um, and it's probably the highest visibility that we've got within the revenue stream. Thank you, Frank. And, and to your second question, uh, Michael, on SaaS and managed services. Uh, so if we talk about you know, FY22 to FY23, you saw that the ARR there was uh, flat to, uh, to slightly down. There, there are two reasons for that. One is, yes, the, the transitions we talked about started in 23, and there was about, call it roughly, you know, $12 million of ARR uh, that we transitioned out of the, out of the, the business in 2023. Uh, this, the other reason is uh, at the high end of the, the bot business, uh, we saw quite a bit of softness, especially in the second half of the year, as customers had significant budget scrutiny and, and you know, were reluctant unless they were uh, under immediate attack. Uh, to really uh, implement our most sophisticated solutions. Uh, we think over time that that will change, but specifically this year with the macro pressures and budget scrutiny, uh, we saw a lot of softness there, both in, in um, you know, new bookings and in some churn in, in some cases. Uh, so that, that is the FY22 to FY23 view. From uh, going into 2024, uh, you ask about, you know, is this transition is a multi-year transition? Yes, we expect that the the $65 million of, of revenue stream that we are transitioning will work themselves out over the next couple of years. So over FY24 and FY25, um, they are a headwind to, to total growth. Uh, however, we are quite uh, excited by what's happening with FI, uh, the SaaS portion of our offerings, specifically SaaS on FI Distributed Cloud. Uh, we have uh, launched a WAP offering, the security offering, uh, you know, about 18 months ago. We are seeing uh, extraordinary traction on that. As I said earlier, we've, we've won over 500 customers in that period, all of whom are enterprise customers. 
um, and we are uh, seeing very rapid traction on that. We're also seeing rapid traction on the multi-cloud networking market, uh, where we bring both networking and security capabilities, and we're quite differentiated to anybody in the market. Uh, so w that has grown fast, and we expect that portion of the business uh, to continue to grow fast and over time uh, become uh, a majority of this SaaS and managed services portfolio. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Francois. Very helpful. Our next question comes from the line of Tim Long with Barclays. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Um, two, if I could as well. First, um, uh, Francois, I think you talked about um, replacing co uh, competitors uh, within the ADC, both hardware and software uh, domain. Could you dig into that a little bit more? Is that something that you think was kind of some one-offs, or do you think there's a sustainable uh, move there, and how is that happening? Um, and then second, just on the, you know, the changes and the transitions in software, um, it sounds like, you know, moving to distributed cloud services makes a lot of sense. Um, having looked at some of those businesses and kind of, you know, moving on from them, does that change your view of kind of synergies across product offerings, or is it a sign that maybe those businesses didn't have the same synergy and that's why you're not, um, you know, you're not going forward with them? Thank you. Um, thanks, Tim. Maybe let me start with the second part. Uh, no, it's not about synergies. So there, there are two aspects of that, Tim, in terms of the, the transitions. We're talking about the $65 million of transition. One is a uh, legacy platform uh, that we have, you know, that on which we have built managed services offerings. Uh, we have now built, a, with FI Distributed Cloud, a much more modern platform with an architecture that's differentiated. Uh, and that's gaining rapid traction, and we want to uh, transition our customers to this modern platform. Um, and that was always the plan. That was always the plan to do that. However, you know, we, we had to, first of all, build a platform and build all the security capabilities on a platform to be able to start this transition. Uh, so we're very excited that we were able to do all this work on the Volterra platform over the last couple of years, and we're able to start this transition in, in 2023. The second part of the, the revenue stream that is being retired uh, is not about synergies. It's, it's new offerings that we had launched recently uh, that we hoped would do well in the market. But um, given the, the macro environment uh, and, and what we've seen as the, the, the early traction on these offerings, uh, we made some decisions, as you know, in, in April to rationalize our portfolio and focus on the most uh, um, attractive investments, and we decided to uh, not go forward with these with these products. Um, so that's that's the, the second part of your question. On the, um, I should say that the last thing I would say about that is, in terms of the synergies between elements of the portfolio, no, I, it, we are actually uh, very encouraged on what we're seeing. Uh, we're seeing actually a number of customers uh, who already have big IP adopt distributed cloud, uh, you know, so for a set of applications, uh, they, they have big IT on-prem or in the cloud, so hardware or software, and then they want to have software as a service for an, uh, other applications in their state, and they really want to have the consistency of, uh, you know, security engines, security policies across all these environments, and we're able to do that with big IT as well as our SaaS and managed services. Uh, Nginx also had a very strong quarter. Uh, in Q4, and that was driven in part by the security capabilities 
uh, that we ported from Big IP onto Nginx, and that same security stack is now in use in distributed cloud. Uh, so the synergies, especially in terms of security across our portfolio, are, are playing out, and we expect that they will accelerate actually over the next couple of years uh, as we, we do more and more uh, convergence between the SaaS and deployable products. Now to the first part of your question. Uh, in terms of the ADC competitors, look, Tim, here it, it's, uh, we have over the last four years, uh, you know, we made a decision to continue to invest in the future of the ADC franchise and specifically building the next generation hardware form factors for our ADC franchise and the next generation software uh, form factors that together bring to on-prem deployments the benefits of the cloud, such as, you know, multi-tenancy, rapid upgrades, hitless upgrades, uh, and make it way easier for customers to operationalize ADCs uh, and, and have a better total cost of ownership. Uh, those investments are, are, are paying out in the market in terms of us gaining share and being able to displace uh, our traditional competitors in, uh, you know, e even in situations where they are incumbent um, and, and take share from them. And we think that, um, you know, that's not a one-off. Our expectation is that will, you know, continue um, and, you know, we're pretty excited because this year we're introducing the, the next generation software platform on, on Big IP that we think is also even more differentiated than what we've had in the market. So I, I expect that uh, that will continue and it's, it's um, hopefully a payoff for the investment we've made over the last four years. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Ray McDonough with Guggenheim. Please proceed with your question. Great, thanks for taking the questions. Uh, Francois, given some of the changes you're making to your software portfolio, it seems like in a way you're, you're simplifying or even converging some of your solutions. So as we think about the roadmap for distributed cloud in particular, what can you do to accelerate adoption and make sure you capture the potential voluntary churn that you've talked about? Or, or even how should we think about the priorities around distributed cloud next year? Thank you. The, um the look our um our goal is to make it ridiculously easy for our customers to secure and deliver their applications and distributed cloud is getting a lot of traction because it does that uh for for our customers so when you look at the priorities next year uh of course it's scaling the platform so it's available in you know more markets in more environments um, and uh, continue to add services to the platform. We have the two, I would say, first two sets of services, uh, WAP and multi-cloud networking. We have a backlog of other services that we want to add to the platform that our customers will want to add. Uh, we recently added CDN capabilities on the platform. Um, you know, after the acquihire of, uh, of Lilac a few months back, and we're starting to get customers adopting our CDN because it's convenient for them to attach that to load balancing and, and security in some cases. So the, the first priorities are, you know, scaling the, the, the platform and adding services. As far as go-to-market, um, frankly, the priority is going into customers that are already F5 customers that have our hardware or software 
but want a SaaS solution to make it easier to front to use F5 to front a, a bunch of applications for which they don't want to manage the life cycle of um, of uh, deployable products. Uh, and if you look at the the 500 customers or so that are on distributed cloud today, over two thirds of them uh, are actually existing big IP customers. So about about a third of them are net new customers that have never bought to anything from F5, and two thirds of them are uh, existing big IP customers. And, and we think actually with both net new and with existing customers, uh, there is a lot of growth and um, that's where the, the, the focus is. And the focus is gonna continue to be with large enterprise customers where F5 has a strong presence. I appreciate that. And if I could sneak one more in, uh, maybe for Frank, certainly appreciate the continued focus on operating margins and, and EPS growth. Um, but can you help us think through how we should think about cash flow margins in fiscal 24? I know you typically don't guide cash flow, but should we think of cash flow growing in line with operating income x some of the tax headwinds uh, you had in fiscal 23? Any even directional thoughts would be helpful. Yeah, Ray, I, as you described, I think that's roughly correct. Um, you know, cash flow is one of the harder things for us to to predict, um, but those those dynamics are, it, it should mirror a bit of that net income growth, you know, with a, with some exceptions to the true uh, tax uh, impacts, some of the restructuring expense we had last year that we don't have this year that are real uh, uh, cash, but split out for non-GAAP purposes. So there's a few ins and outs, but it should be roughly, uh, roughly close to that. Great, appreciate it. Our next question comes from the line of James Fish with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question. Hey guys, thanks for sticking me in. I'll just make it simple here. You know, you guys talked about in the prepared remarks uh, about subscription renewals performing well. Um, any more color into specifically what products are seeing those better renewals, the, the cross-sell that you're seeing, or any qualitative or quantitative color around net retention rates, understanding uh, you, you have this headwind around specifically the, the SaaS and MSP business um, of about 65 million, uh, you know, how should we think about that net retention rate within the term business um, or the aggregate overall when, when you kind of exclude even the impact of, of that SaaS piece? Thanks, guys. Uh, sure, uh, Fish, why don't I start? And if Francois wants to add anything, that would be great. So, you know, within our term subscription business, it's generally our big IP uh, software as well as uh, Nginx, and that's the expansion rates that we have seen. Um, it's not the easiest thing, task in the world to convert that term into an ARR type of business um, because of all the, the moving parts. But um, when we've when we tried to do that and tried to convert and look at uh, what would um, you know a an expansion rate be or a net revenue retention rate, um, it's it's north of what you would think of as the industry norm of 120%. Let me just put it put it that way. And that combination of where it is plus our, um, our SaaS and managed service uh, net revenue retention rate is still north of that 120%. So uh, that combination, you know, is, is what gives us a lot of uh, visibility and firmness in our expectation of those pieces of the business that will continue to do well. Makes sense. Um, and, and just on the go-to-market side, any changes in terms of incentives or approach as we turn the page into this next fiscal year and as we have, you know, transitions now within the overall software transition? It's, it, the, the 
incentive plans between the two years are largely the same fish. There's always going to be a couple of tweaks uh, here and there as we're looking and seeing what was successful the year before and not, but nothing major. Thanks, guys. Our last question comes from the line of Simon Leopold with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thanks for, for taking the question. Uh, I just want to get a better sense of um, where the, the systems business is stabilizing in, in that I, I assume the September quarter did not have much, if any, backlog drawdown in it. And, and so other than maybe some seasonal movement, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of is sort of this, you know, 120 to 130 million per quarter level, sort of the, the new normal for systems. And then just quickly on, on how the software is trending with the silver line exit, does that manifest itself uh, gradually throughout the year or is that something that shows up in, in a particular quarter? Thanks for that. So uh, I'll start for the first one and then Francois, I don't know if you want to take the second, um, but uh, in terms of uh, what we what we have said, I think, in both the repair marks and some of the answers, um, we did we do believe that we hit a trough in FY23 in terms of systems uh, bookings, and you know we're equating that to the the term demand. Now the offset or the balance of that is that uh, there was FY22 bookings that there were delivered in in FY23, and so the shipments that they actually received, which is the revenue that we recognized that came in in FY23 and started to be utilized. Now, as that utilization uh, uh, started to uh, increase and more capacity was needed, we started to see that come through in, um, in Q4, which was our best systems bookings quarter of the year. It looks like on a revenue basis, that wasn't necessarily the case, but from a demand perspective or a bookings perspective, that was the case. Uh, there will still continue to be fluctuation. There's probably a, a bit of leveling or even improvement that we've seen in the enterprise side. Uh, on the SP, as Francois mentioned, service providers have been hesitant, and we expect that to continue on. And in Q1 in particular, um, you know, we've got uh, a federal government that isn't necessarily functional right now, and uh, we'll see what that means as an impact to, you know, bookings for systems uh, in in Q1, and we're trying to take that into account as we, you know, looked at the, the guides and the expectations. We do expect, um, as we've talked about in, in many times in the past, there is that four to six quarter lull, and the dynamics that I just uh, talked about explains why sometimes that takes four to six quarters, particularly in a supply chain uh, restrained environment. So we do expect at some point during the year that we will pick up in bookings uh, from that Q4 level and, and return back uh, to a higher level, I can't say normalized level because it's tough to know when exactly that will, will take place. Um, but uh, our outlook and our expectation is not that we are going to do 180 million less in systems bookings, our systems revenue. Our bookings will improve, but the revenue will be down from uh, last year because of that 180 million of headwind. And, and to the second part of your, uh, of your question, uh, in terms of silver line, no, it's not going to be all in one quarter. Um, you know, it, it's going to bleed off over the next couple of years, kind of every every quarter. Uh, and it's going to be time with, you know, when, when customers are uh, at a point where they have to renew or migrate their, their subscription, that there will be a decision point. Um, and um, so you're going to see it, I think, over the next uh, six to eight quarters. Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's teleconference. Thank you for your participation. You may disconnect your lines at this time and have a wonderful day.